0: infotrack the weekly show with information you should
1: know here's your host chris whitting the date december 10th 1996 might not seem significant or meaningful to you chances are you can't remember a thing about that day but our next guest on infotrack says he'll always remember it That was the day that Alan Rucker became paralyzed from the waist down. Now, he's written an inspiring and powerful story, and he's going to share a little bit of that with us today about this life-changing experience. Alan, welcome to InfoTrack.
0: Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here.
1: Now, you've written a very down-to-earth, honest, and at times hilarious book about your experience titled, The Best Seat in the House. And, of course, you're a writer by profession, a television writer. You've written seven books, including several based on the popular series The Sopranos. Now, Alan, to start with, just tell us what happened that day in 1996.
0: Well, it was a very bad day, Chris. Let's put it that way. I'm a writer in Hollywood, which means that I'm unemployed a lot. And I was unemployed that day. Mm-hmm. And I was just lounging around the house, actually. And all of a sudden, I felt this powerful pain around my waist. Like the worst pain, I think it's the worst pain I've ever had. Mm-hmm. It's like a branding iron, kind of branding me right at the waist. And it came and went very quickly, and I immediately assumed I had some strange either back problem or maybe the flu or just something that I could relate to because what was happening I couldn't relate to at all. And over the next 90 minutes, I just kept getting weaker and weaker and weaker. I landed back in bed, and about 90 minutes later I started to get up and I fell on the floor, and it turns out that I had gotten an inflammation in my spine for reasons that they're not quite sure and from that moment on i've been paralyzed from the waist down and it happened just like that and chris i didn't have anything to do with it you know i this, didn't get drunk and drive off the highway or get involved in a fight in a bar and get hit with a chair or any, anything it so this just,
1: this it just was so shocking it that, just happened out of a blue sky so to you know, speak
0: it's like an anvil fell out of the sky and hit me in the back you wow. know And many of us, especially many of us in the aging baby boomer demographic, many of us are seeing these things happen to us in strange ways. I mean, sometimes there are things like MS or diabetes or prostate cancer, but There are all these kinds of events that seems to happen to older people more than younger
1: people. Your life obviously changed in a big way after this happened, and you had to make some big adjustments, not just physically, but mentally as well. Tell us a little about that.
0: Well, you go through, first of all, it's just denial. I spent a good year just saying, well, this didn't really happen, did it? And Hoping that I'd crawl in bed one night and wake up the next morning and my legs would work fine. That never happened. On top of that, even when I was in the hospital, I began to cry a lot, and I was in mourning. And it's kind of like mourning the loss of a loved one or something like that. That was very liberating, actually. All that crying, mostly by myself at night when no one else was around, Mm -hmm. kind of maybe cleared away a lot of other worries or sadness in my life. So that was good, too. And then it's just a matter of learning to adjust, in my case, to the world, because being paralyzed or being handicapped is actually—and this is going to sound stupid—is very often someone else's problem more than it's your problem. <laughs> it's someone else's way of reacting to you that kind of makes things awkward, rather than you know your way of reacting. I don't go around yelling at people like you know an angry crippled, you know, <laughs> and I'm not needy. I don't go around saying help me, help me, but people. They just have strange reactions to people in
1: wheelchairs. Yeah, you, in your book, amusingly, you talk about how not to treat a disabled person, and you give some examples. I wondered if you could share a couple of well, those. I call
0: ones. those crippled do's and don'ts. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that people normally do is that they're way too kind. If you're in a mall, for instance, a lot of people just insist on reminding you that you're in a wheelchair just in case you forget, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, how's the weather down there? They shout at you a lot. And, you know, they're just being friendly, but I usually say, well, the weather down here is fine except for the spittle coming from your mouth. And they tend to raise their voice. Because you're in a wheelchair, you're not deaf, okay? Let's (laughs) just get that straight. But people see you in a wheelchair, and they immediately think, I, I guess, of their grandpa or something, and they go, hi, can I do anything for you? And you go please, don't shout. Don't, don't, don't shout. And never ask a person in a wheelchair in a two-story elevator ride, so tell me, how did it happen?
1: <laughs> oh, brother.
0: It's just that people, out of nervousness, just try to engage you in conversation and try to help you too much. Here's this thing that, this is, sounds small, but imagine this multiplied by a thousand times. I drive with hand controls. These are special devices for people who have no legs. Mm-hmm. And I have a manual wheelchair, and I kick it into the back of my car, fold it up, and drive down to the store to buy groceries, right? I get out of the wheelchair, go into the store, pack up with my groceries, and come back. And invariably, as I'm getting back into the car, someone will rush up and say, oh, can I help you? Can I help you with that chair? Can I help you with anything? And they're just being nice, Right. And I'm not dissing them, except that when it happens a thousand times, it gets a little irritating. And you want to say, excuse me, how did you think I got to the store? <laughs> <laughs> I really, I got here all on my own, right? And I, and I appreciate your kindness, but I don't really need your help. People who are in wheelchairs don't want to be made to feel helpless.
1: Sure. well, that, be
0: made I, to feel needy. Makes I'm perfect sense. I'm just like you. I just have this thing that happened to me, and I swear, because I was 50, over 50 when this happened. But when I came out on the other end, I realized I'm really not any different than I was. I might be a little more sensitive about certain things, but in, basically I'm not any different. This thing just happened to me. It's not my identity. I'm not a handicapped person. I'm a person with a handicap, and that's a very big difference. I just wish that other people would learn to see the 56 million disabled people out there. That's how many there are that are labeled as disabled. Those 56 million people see them as a person and not as a disability with the person inside
1: of it. Our guest on InfoTrack is Alan Rucker, and he's written a book called The Best Seat in the House, How I Woke Up One Tuesday and Was Paralyzed for Life. Alan, I guess a question that comes to mind, you were talking about these people who are trying to be nice at the handicapped parking spaces and saying, gee, can I help you? What should somebody do who genuinely does want to help? Or how do they know if somebody does need help?
0: Oh, that's, you're right. Sometimes it's a little tough to know. And you're right. People in wheelchairs often need to get through doors or pass block dials and stuff like that. And it is nice that people are sensitive. Again, it's just a matter of emphasis. When you see a guy in a wheelchair, try to see the guy before you see the wheelchair.
1: Exactly. That's beautifully put. Now, just jumping ahead here, you talk in your book, um, toward the end of the book, about the importance in this situation and in all situations of life of not feeling like you're a victim.
0: That's part of the kind of large arc of the story is there are two things that happen, at least in my case. And again, I really can't speak for other disabled people because everyone's experience is unique. But my experience is that there are two kind of states of mind you have to work through. One of them is if you can get up off the ground and don't just hide in the closet, don't come out. If you can kind of come back normally after something like this, everyone, your closest friends, everyone thinks you're a hero. And that's nice, you know? It's nice. Sure. nice be called a hero. You know, you were my hero. I couldn't deal with this if I were you. Like you have, you are heroic. And the fact of the matter is, I'm not a hero. A hero is someone like that guy that jumped on the subway in New York and saved that guy's life. That's a hero. Hmm. A guy who risked his life to save someone else's life. I'm just a guy in a wheelchair. So not thinking of yourself as a hero is a healthy state of mind. And not thinking of yourself as a victim is an extremely healthy state of mind if you are in fact in a way a victim, you know, I'm a victim of this whatever this thing that happened to me is. Right. But what I found out is that the minute I was a true victim, I didn't want to feel like a victim anymore. Your response is to wanna to not be helpless, to take control of things, to do things, to show people or show yourself that you could do things that you couldn't otherwise do.
1: The book is the best seat in the house Alan Rucker, thanks so much for joining us on InfoTrack. Thanks a lot. Nice to talk to you. Next, when you get behind the wheel, what are your odds for survival? Some amazing and frightening statistics are ahead. There's more InfoTrack coming up. Stay tuned.